Hello and welcome back to part two of the Steve Plater podcast. Steve, you're right. All right, Matt. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> I keep mistaking you for Matt Roberts. Is that because of his mm. handsome good looks? No, I'm only joking, mate. No, um, hey, mate, it's good to be here again. Hey, listen, don't forget. In fact, do your job. Remind people to listen to part one. Oh, yeah. Part one was last week, as you're probably well aware. I had a good chat with uh, Chris Pritchard here and uh, a few secrets from the old days for me. Oh, some revelations. So if you've not listened to it, make sure you head back there and listen to it now. We ended the conversation in part one right at your TT debut. You'd learned the course in a very unconventional way by the sounds of it, in a higher car with your wife. <laughs> <laughs> but now we get to the start line for practice. Had morning practice been stopped by then? Yes, I never right. I never experienced the uh, whatever time it was, you know, the day, day break. Ups. Yeah, the, the early stuff. And um, fortunately, yeah. it's, I don't, I'm a morning person, but flipping it, that's, it's crackers that early. Yeah, it's, it's going some in it. <laughs> it's certainly going to wake you up buzzing around... Uh, buzzing off down Braille at that time. But no, so it was kind of um, all in the afternoon. And I was very lucky, 2007, um, for those people that weren't there, it was an incredible year. There was not one drop of rain for the whole two weeks. So, really? Yeah, so it helped me to learn the course as well throughout practice with being black lines and rubber marks all the way around the course mm -hmm. for the whole 37 miles. So it was a big help, really. Um but yeah, obviously, you know, I had Mick Grant, as I said in, in part one, Mick Grant in my corner helping out. But because I was fast straight away, um, they was all moaning at me, you know, saying, um, you're sticking your neck out, you're pushing too hard and so on. But the the main reason for me being as quick as I was really was because I wasn't trying and I was being nice and relaxed and that's the best way you can ever approach a new circuit. Yeah, so you ca so you came into it. I think again, you touched on it in in part one, but you came into it in two thousand and seven, and the reason you waited till two thousand and seven was because you wanted to come in under the radar without any pressure. Yeah, there's obviously pressure there because you know, and you put it on yourself. Yeah, less pressure, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I mean, from the press and and so on, uh, most likely press because mm -hmm. um, I've won all the other road races and British Championship and so on. So it was quite a big thing for me to be coming to the to the TT, but. Um, you know, it, it it's it's hard, and, and my mindset, whether it be right or wrong, was the centenary is one of the big years that everybody's going to want to leave their mark and try and win. So I could maybe come and just fly under the radar a little bit and, and do my stuff. And um, my deal was to come and ride the TT, and the guys offered me a good package to come over. Um, and I said to them, if you don't like it after practice, I'll pack in and go home, and you can have your money back. <laughs> Really? Well, you never know. It's okay being big and smart and bold, what you're going to do and, and so on, but you never know until you let rip on a closed road mm -hmm. of how you're going to feel and if you're going to be scared when you're riding around. The Steve Plater 30-day money-back guarantee. Mm, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so you get there, first lap. You're behind uh, uh, Marshall. Was it was it Milky or no? It wasn't Milky. Um, I don't think. It, I might, do you know what? I can't remember. I was uh, myself and Keith Amore. Mm -hmm. uh, were newcomers that year. Um, Keith now works in the VIP hospitality for the TT. He's good, good, good rider. Yeah, well, he works. Yeah. He works with a barman say. usually. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm joking. Uh, good kid. But um, yeah, we were newcomers. I can't think. I don't know if it's Milky or Travelling Marshall that led us around. But when you say you know you get led around, which is brilliant to, mm -hmm. to break the ice and follow somebody that knows where they're going around. It was, it was fabulous. But it's still over 100 mile an hour, so you're not really hanging around. Yeah. But, but you very quickly. 
you know, uh, to answer that question of what I said about, you know, if you don't like it, you'll go home. Mm -hmm. Realise uh, after three or four miles, this is the place for you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So then the travelling marshal moves out of the way. You get your first free lap to do as you please, as go, go as fast as you please, pick your own racing lines. Did you feel like a duck out of water or did you feel like the prep you'd done was enough to get around that at a decent speed and start building your confidence? Yeah, the prep, the prep that I had done um, was perfect to keep me safe. Mm -hmm. However, then you've got to find all your small points and your, your, your references to keep yourself um, safer at, at a faster pace, you know, more, more at race pace, which takes time without doubt, you know, and some parts are easy, some parts disappear. It's not even a corner. It's just, you're just going through there flat out. Yeah. Um, uh, and other areas are a big problem and, and, and still are to this day. Some places I still hate and don't like because you could never, you always felt that you couldn't push into them um, and you always felt very slow. Like? Um, the 13th. Mm -hmm. I hated it with a passion. Bray Hill. You know, it wasn't, yeah, wasn't particularly slow well, there, yeah. but um, just couldn't get comfy with it. You know, I'm, I'm big on reference points. And when you're flying over the top of a hill, I mean, in St. Indians, a run down the hill, there was no references. You're going over there 170, 80 mile an hour, and it's very hard to pick out a point and hard to feel at home in that section when without closing the throttle and feeling, feeling a, a proper namby-pamby. Do you think anybody goes down Bray Hill confident, like, yeah, I know my, my, my markers that I need to hit? Oh, flipping, like we... I don't know how many podcasts ago, Dean Harrison. It's his favourite part of the oh, course. Yeah, he did say that, didn't he? You yeah. know, so it's it's different because he 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 hates other places that I love. Yeah. So it's just everybody's different, you mm -hmm. know, and you're fast in different sections. But uh, yeah, and various other bits in Bob's places where you know it's a road race, so there are negative cameras, there are downhill sections where you never get the feel, never get the feedback mm -hmm. from the bike. So you always feel like you could have gone a little bit faster through there. But there's a lot of places you have to respect and treat as a section to, to run through and get the get the top speed to come out off the, off the, that, that section or off the corner. So it sounds very similar to, to, to a lot of other newcomers that started. Pete Hickman, for instance, he, he didn't want to know his times, but he was flying. Same with David Todd and same like we saw in 2022 with, with Glenn Irwin. Yeah, Josh Brooks as well in between yeah. those, you know, all, all, all quality riders. Um, and everybody has their own way of learning as well. And it's everybody's different. So it's uh, it's interesting how, how different you know, athletes and, and sports people learn learn their trade. Did you feel like you were pushing at any point? Though? Like you said, you went into it relaxed and you were just riding your your race. Did you feel like you were pushing? <laughs> no, not in the slightest. You know, even uh, even John McGuinness, he said to me, what What are you doing at Bagara, top of Bagara? I said, why? I said, I'm doing the same every lap, you know. And I, f I thought it was normal and thought it, well, it was fast. Um, it's on YouTube. If you if you Google it on YouTube, uh, Plater at Bagara. Is this Plater nearly crashing? And I think no. Well, I wasn't. Because I saw that one. But it was I was tied up the curb. But I did, right. I did the same every lap. Just thought that was the norm. Right. And I think Bruce comes through a guy, then Bruce, then me, and you can see the difference in the line. But that's a newcomer going around and just I was comfy there. I was happy with, with what I was doing. But, yeah. Um, yeah. It's, and it was great at John to to point out different things where he thought I was being dangerous. You know. Did you change your approach to it after he said that? Yeah, I went faster. <laughs> I'll show him. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> so all in all, the TT debut was a success. You'd say it was a success, right? Happy on my first year, yeah. You know, yeah. You can't, you cannot believe how um, mentally draining mm -hmm. the, the TT course is for, uh, from a rider's point of view. You know, it's yeah, not, yeah. it's not really physical. I wouldn't say it's physical, um, but I mean. 
for sure on a superbike it's harder to manhandle than the smaller bikes but it's mentally draining you really are uh, after you know some practice and a, a six lap superbike race it's it's oh, unbelievable it really is concentration level so hard mm-hmm. and if you're not concentrating hard then you're putting yourself in a massive danger so you get to the end of your your, your first year at the tt you're definitely coming back for the following year do you think you're capable of winning at that point no, um, and I wasn't definitely coming back either. You know, he's obviously interested in doing this and doing that and, mm-hmm. and so on, but everything else has to be right as well for the right decision. So I, I kind of loved the place um, after the first few laps, not just the first year, but um, and I I decided in the end that I wanted to return and give myself like a three-year plan to try uh, and come back and get on the podium, yeah. Right, that was a plan to get that, on the podium. That, that was my kind of uh, thought process, yeah. So then 2008 rolls round? Yeah, 2008. Um, I was running in the British Championship with AIM Yamaha and Supersport. Hutchie was my teammate, mm-hmm. uh, who is obviously a, a great... Uh, He's one of you. A great rider at short circuit and, and mm-hmm. on the road. Um, and, you know, one of the competition. So it's it a good person to have as a teammate, really. Yeah. And, um, and my deal was to do Northwest TT and Macau as well. Right. All, all, all three. You know, and, and dabble a little bit with, uh, I think in that year, I think with uh, Yamaha France at World Endurance. So it was a busy, busy, busy season. The busiest man in showbiz, they say. Oh, yeah. About you. Yeah. So 2008, you ended, second year, you ended up on the podium. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can top, you remember that? Top step of the podium. Can you remember that? No, I wasn't actually. I wasn't top step of the podium. I was in second mm. spot on the podium on the Supersport bike. Um, in all fairness, uh, that, my team that year, say so my team, it wasn't my team, it was Alistair Flanagan's team, but um, Steve Meller was the engine man, and in my opinion, the best cylinder head man, cylinder head man in the UK. Mm-hmm. He was the old M out of V&M Racing, um, incredible man. And Jim McMahon, great mechanic, had been spending a lot of time with people like Philip McCallum, and great guy, great guy. They both passed away now, bless him. Um, really lucky to have them in the team, but... My Supersport bike was incredibly fast. It was so good, it really was. Um, at, at British Championship Northwest, and for the first time in my career, I had a faster bike than anybody else. It was brilliant, it really was. Um, so, anyway, fast forward to answer your question. Yeah, without doubt, uh, I was at my second year and uh, the first Supersport race. Uh, I'd had a cracking race. We'd come onto the last lap to come over the mountain. I was running in third place, which was brilliant. I couldn't believe it. Uh, on my pit balls, on my signals come over the mountain and I took I think two point something seconds out of McGuinness and got through to second place and brought it home so did the podium and everything but then um, uh, unfortunately for Bruce Anstey uh, he was kicked out of the results because uh, the, the bike um, there was an infringement on the rules for I'm not sure something mm-hmm. something with the bike uh, so I was promoted to first place so I didn't I didn't get to, to enjoy spraying the champagne from the top step of the podium, but for me it was incredible. And, and in all fairness, it, it wasn't it wasn't the real thing of obviously uh, the promotion to first place. It was more um, taking the time out of McGuinness over the mountain. That's well, what, yeah, that's that's what floated my boat because he was the main man, obviously, and he was the target. You're in, you're only in your second year there. You know, yeah. a lot of people say it takes three, four years to to master it. Second year, and I think it was the first race, of the, my first race that week, was it? first super sport as well so they only had um, a few races yeah so it was, i was quite quite happy with my uh 
progression at the time. Do you feel like you're still, obviously you're going to say you're always learning that course. Yeah. 100%. But did you feel like you were you were there or thereabouts getting to master it? The fact that you can take time out of John McGuinness, who's been doing it for 10 years. No, never. You know, I knew I was learning fast and, and mm -hmm. getting quicker and quicker, of course. Um, and I knew, I knew from Ramsey to the finish line, I was good there. Yeah. Yeah, I knew that. Um, because of your short circuit experience? Um, no, I wouldn't say short circuit, just everybody has their happy places, like we right. just spoken about with Dean Harrison and, and Bray Hill hated it. Mm -hmm. He loves it, you know, everybody's different. Um, my style, my style, sorry, suited uh, all of that section, which is wide open, very, very fast and flowing. So you can see where you're going easier. It's a little bit smoother, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, but then, of course, I was obviously slower than the rest of the guys, all the all your established riders on on the big rough sections, for instance, from Ginger Hall through to Ramsey and so on. Not, I wouldn't say slow, but not as good as those boys, you know. Um, and there's a lot of sections where I needed to sharpen myself up and get more on top of to to be um threatening on a superbike especially so let's just fast forward all the way to 2022 glenn Irwin has his debut fastest ever newcomer could you potentially see him doing what you did then and being on the podium next year again we're not it's not i'm not trying to apply pressure to him because it, again he probably won't even listen to this but is he capable of doing something similar to that? Do we see that nowadays or not? I don't think so, mate. He didn't even make 130 in his first year. <laughs> <laughs> He'll hate me for I saying that. He I hope he does listen to it <laughs> I hope he does. No, um, hey, listen, Glenn is a quality rider, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, all of the Irwins are, you know, on Ray Randolph. Um, it's a similar story to yours, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. You know, um, he... he did a fantastic job this year. He had some issues, you know, with with bikes and and uh, didn't finish all the races and so on. Um, did a great job. I didn't see him out of shape once, mm -hmm. running wide or doing anything silly. Doing a great, great job. And there's no reason why he can't come back next year. And with a little bit of luck, um, let's say, find himself in the top five. Yeah, I yeah, think that's a, I think that's, I think that's what he needs to be. Or I would be looking at, you know, re realistically, is to, to be kind of looking at the top five. But just yeah. pretty much, in all fairness to him, carry on doing what he's doing without trying and he'll just go faster anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm. So back to your second year, although it wasn't a win, you te technically you did end up in the, in, the, in the book. Now it does say that you are the winner. But like you say, potentially felt just, like a just win on, anyway. Just with that, you know, with Bruce Anstey, um, that guy is, is an enigma. A little bit like Steve Hislop, and uh, I'm a massive fan. I've beaten mm -hmm. him in loads of other places, um, but for the TT, um, if that boy in that race that day would have been on a bog standard road bike at the showroom, he would have beaten us all. Yeah, incredible. But unfortunately, his bike was illegal, so that's the way. So you take the win. That's the way the cookie crumbles. Yeah, and not just me. Everybody through the whole yeah. field moves up a place. You know, so it's just. Yeah, yeah. But there's only one winner. Hey, you know. To finish first, first you've got to finish. So then you did get your official first win the following year, 2009. Senior as well, no less. Yeah, the deal was already done straight after the TT in uh, June in 08. Mm -hmm. I am Yamaha. I signed a deal with Honda yeah. uh, very early to race British Supersport the following year. Um, also signed a deal for World Endurance with Tenkata Honda and uh, for World Endurance and for the TT and the Northwest and uh, yeah that's it that you was must it. Have, you for... must have been loaded. Loaded. It's not about the money. It's about winning. Isn't I it? know it's. I know it's about winning. But when you've got all those teams throwing money at you and throwing the best equipment at you, 
I bet you felt like a rock star, <laughs> didn't you? Yeah, but it, you're only a rock star if you're still on the top step. That's the, that's the difference. Which so, you were. So you kind of, yeah, but no, I, I, and things were, I'd spent some years as well um, rebuilding my career because I'd had a big lull. Mm -hmm. through injuries, through making the wrong decisions and uh, bad results um, and kind of being a top 10 rider, not a winner. Yeah. So I'd spent a lot of time putting myself in the right place and, and uh, physically and mentally and getting myself back on the ball, uh, which had worked, you know, and uh, Clearly, yeah. and with a good team, with Ayami Yamaha, um, to, for, for Neil Tuxworth to, uh, who was the Honda boss at the time, sorry, to... Uh, Con sign, sign uh, off me a contract for 2009, which was great. Um, it's going to be a busy year uh, and a technical one. You know, riding British Supersport, um, Supersport and Superbike and Superstock on the roads and World Endurance for Tenkata and across all three of those as well. Um, Pirelli, Dunlop and Michelin tyres. And also uh, Josh Brooks, who came to the UK in 09, but was very late because he didn't have a visa in time. Mm -hmm. I had to ride the Superbike at the first round as well at BSB. So it was a busy old year and, and I loved it. You yeah. Know, and uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Great. But TT-wise, yeah, 2009, obviously the team was brilliant. You know, um, I had some really good guys around me within the Honda setup, some some world-class um tech crew you know adrian gorst and Stu millen and uh, jules bowler there's a, a lot you know jules was my guy on the super sport at british championship and he actually worked for mcginnis my teammate you know and, and again on top of that i had the best man around the tt course as a teammate oh, i yeah. could maybe rob some flipping uh, some information off and some uh, yeah which also would be a big help as well sounds like he needed to come and see you for help though the way you were riding the tt course no, listen, John was still the man, obviously, oh, you know, and um, and still really, really fast, you know, um, not just at the TT, you know, uh, the other road races and other things that he does, he's, he's, he's a class act and one of those guys that pisses you off a little bit because he never seems to be trying when he's going fast. That, well, I think people probably say that about you, right? Possibly. You never really listen to what people say about you, though. He's just fast. You don't care? You try to be, yeah. Yeah. So, senior TT... It's not one of the, you don't win one of those every every day, do you? No. So no. going into it, are you thinking you can win it? What's, what's, what's the score? Yeah, by this time, um, for me, it all it depended on the first lap mm -hmm. for the senior. So we've gone through, we've gone through. I can't remember my results that year. Um, we, we've been going through the week. Uh, I was on the podium in the first race. I can't think where I finished. I didn't win it. John won it. Uh, incredible. Uh, first race of the week. On stood on the podium with uh, I can't think who the other place was. Oh, that's right. No, it was um, John McGuinness, Guy Martin, and myself on the podium. I think I finished second, or anyway, second or third. But Valentino Rossi and Agostini giving you your trophies and talking <clears> to you and yipping and yapping. What a flipping! You know, um, and also uh, Murray Walker doing an interview, just special. Do you What's know that what I mean? feel special, like? Incredible. Like, you've got two legends looking up to you guys, giving you trophies, being pretty much going, I, I could not do what you've just done. Yeah, incredible. You know, and uh, it really is, really is. Um, obviously, John. John was the man shining, you know, as expected. He'd, mm -hmm. he'd won the race easily, really, the first two-part race. And, um, but Valentino was just about to go and do a lap on, a, on an R1 as well to, to get a 
uh, a proper insight into the TT course, which is fabulous. And I'll never forget it. He, he came on the podium, did his stuff, typical Valentino style, brilliant. And um, very, very friendly, very accommodating and, and chitting and chatting. And then um, off he went on his on his road bike with, I think, motorcycle news guys and some other people. And uh, we was busy, obviously, winning his enclosure and doing this, doing that podium and so on. And we had to go into hospitality, come back out. And by the time we come back out, Valentino just come back and got off his bike. I said, hey, Valley, I said, well, um, what did you think of the TT course? And this is his exact words. He said, fucking hell, fucking hell, fucking hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The goat. <laughs> Bless him. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that must it, feel pretty pretty special. The fact that you can you've mastered that, and this guy who is again another enigma in the world of MotoGP cannot cannot do what you can do. I wouldn't say he couldn't. He doesn't want to. Well, you know, without doubt, if uh, anybody of his level at uh, MotoGP level wanted to come to the Alaman TT, they would be very very fast. Do you think? Yeah, yeah, if they could uh, bury the demons of the negative side of, yeah. of being too nervous or too scared and so mm -hmm. on. Yeah, because they're quality riders. They're not, you know. I guess so, yeah. There's so many quality riders in the world, it's just being able to channel all your efforts into what you want to achieve. Yeah, that's pretty cool, though. That's the biggest part. So, yeah, going back to your question about the senior, build or building up to that. So it had been a, uh, a fabulous first race, you know, and, and an experience with all those guys. And then and then um, I had a few fourth places and I was really struggling, um, which I mentioned in, in part one, I think, about, you know, that weird sensation of no warm-up lap, no nothing. So um, you had to walk up to up to the main road in the morning, get up at 8 o'clock in the morning, mm -hmm. wander around, make sure your helmets, your visors are all done, chat with the boys, make sure your tyre choices are all good and make sure everything's sweet. Come 12 o'clock time, you've got to walk up to the main road with your gear and throw your leg over a bike. And if you cannot be on lap record pace in the first sector, you're never going to stand on the podium. Tough. Tough oh, yeah. when From you're used to a morning walk. Yeah. It's mental, it really is. And uh, that was that, for me, that was one of the hardest parts of being competitive uh, around a t in, in a TT race, mm -hmm. so um, I managed to I managed to uh, and I had a little bit of earache from Neil Tuxworth, Honda Chief, as well about that indirectly, you know, just sort of a bit of banter if you'd like. Get and, on uh, it, boy. Yeah, pretty much. And I did it. You know, I got on the pace and was. Uh, I think. Not not scaring John McGuinness, who was leading, because uh, John obviously was still faster than me. You know, he's he's the master around there at the time, um, and but putting him under pressure a little bit. And I didn't realise John how threatened John felt with me being there. I suppose. Yeah, I bet he did. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, John was still riding great and so flipping fast, um, but yeah. So I was chasing John for the full race. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, lap three, it would have been coming lap three, yeah. Um, into onto lap four, sorry, yeah. John, John on lap four, coming through Parliament Square at Ramsey, come out and he snapped the chain. Mm -hmm. um, was gutted, but that's TT, you know. Yeah. Um, you know, we've all had results from through other people breaking down. You've got to get to the finish line for sure. Um, but of course. Uh, I got back to the pits, pit stopped uh, after lap four, second pit stop, come in to the, with the boys, change the back wheel, filled up with fuel, and they said, McGuinness is out. I said, bloody hell. I said, is he all right? They said, yeah, yeah, good. I said, okay, cool. Didn't want to know anything else. They said, you're P1. I thought, flipping heck. 
And like, I just thought, Jesus. So you've anyway. got another two laps to do at this point. So first of all, you, you just focus immediately. I just had a drink and immediately on, you know, pit lane limiter and this and that. Don't make any mistakes. Don't get out. Try and be as fast as you can, but without being, because I had a little bit of a cushion, without making any mistakes and just be sort of inch perfect. Mm -hmm. and, God, and, you know, don't try and push too hard. Don't try any fast times. Don't try and, uh, or don't override the bike. Don't cause the bike any grief. Just so many things going through your head. So here's the question though. When you get that, your mindset completely changes. All of a sudden you're thinking, make sure you hit the, you're actually thinking about what you're doing. But prior to that, you come in for your first pit stop. Are you thinking about that? Do you think, right, I've got to make sure the pit lane limit, or do you just go onto autopilot? No, there's so many, so many. I'm lucky because I've had so many years of world endurance. Yeah. All these things you have to use in world endurance. You know, mm -hmm. you, have, you have to understand world endurance is their fast fillers and everything else. So you get, um, you only get about 35, 40 seconds off the mm -hmm. bike, um, whether you're going again or whether somebody else is going. Um, however, when you pull in, you know, you can't afford any penalties. So you've got to have a pit lane limiter on yeah. and so on and, and make sure everything's ready, make sure everything's prepped. If you've got any issues or problems, make sure you let the guys know and so on. Just make sure everything's tipped up. Yeah. So it's still full concentration, even though you've pulled into pit lane. Mm -hmm. But at that point, once McGuinness is out, you're thinking of every eventuality that potentially could happen instead of just riding your race. Oh, without doubt, yeah. yeah. You're just desperately trying not to make any mistakes because it's still a tough job to uh, to 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 take a bike round at pace and without breaking it around a TT mm -hmm. course. But that's the thing, like with John's chain snapping, if he had a massive gap, if you'd had had not got off to that good start and pushed him. He might not have ridden it as hard. He might have come out of that corner just slightly, you know, less gas. Potentially that chain might have survived its way to the end of the, the race. Hey, anything can happen. John could have made a mistake if I was yeah. pushing and so on. But, you know, going on to the last lap, if I'd have pushed, John would have gone faster without doubt. You know, mm -hmm. well, I would have pushed. Yeah. You know, I would have pushed him uh, or pushed myself, should I say, uh, to go faster. But, you know, I think... Um, John was still faster than me around that, obviously around the TT course at that point. Yeah. You know, without doubt. And... Um, I was learning fast, obviously, and, and getting quicker and quicker. But uh, I didn't, I didn't go fast. Um, in, I didn't go faster in the senior, I don't think, than I went in the first race mm -hmm. because I didn't have to. Yeah, yeah. So at that point, it was although it wasn't a given that you were going to win, you just had to coax it home and make sure you God, you ended up just coax it home. There's so much going through your head. That you must try, have been a long two trying laps. to concentrate because I said earlier, you know, if, if you're not concentrating, you, you're in a whole world of hell. Yeah, you know, you really are. So uh, there's so many things going in, going through your head, and you know, and, oh God, it's such a long way coming up. Pat, you come over the tram lines at, at the bungalow on the on the last lap, and coming up I had a pit board on the left. That was my dad. He was panicking because he knew I was leading and he was desperately trying to run back down to the tram to get back down to Laxhead to get home. And there was a big, massive queue. So my dad's a big unit. He just shoved himself straight at the front of the queue to get back on Brilliant. the train. And so, and, but, but for me, I had to bring the bike home and you're desperately not trying to think anything about the podium or winning or what position you are. You're just trying to do everything that you normally do mm -hmm. without stressing the bike. You're feeling every slight vibration you know, uh, coming back down from, from Halewood Heights all the way back down to the Craig. And then, of course, the last sector and running through from Cronkna through to the finish line. God, flipping heck. And it's such a relief when you come over the finish line. It really is. Hey, and I've done that once in the senior. Look at how many times McGuinness has done it. I know. Incredible. So what did it feel like as you crossed the line, knowing that you'd won? Oh, you're full of, full of emotions. You know, you're in tears. and, and um, But you've also... It's, it's weird. It's as much a relief as it is um, 
you know, a celebration. A relief that uh, you'd won or a, le- a relief that you'd just got back and you were safe? That, that you haven't made a mistake, mm-hmm. um, that you, you've fulfilled your dream. Um, so, many, so many different emotions, there really is. But obviously, you've got to be a little bit careful as well. You've, there's a lot of people to thank. You've got a lot of work to do. There's so much to, to go on as well. So as soon as you get from, from crossing the finish line to entering the winner's enclosures, in, fabulous, incredible. It's just yeah, you yeah. on your own. The visor's still down. You know, you're kind of milking, this, milking the moment, not, and not just with the fans, just with yourself. Yeah. But as soon as you pull into that winner's enclosure, um, you're back to work. Really? Yeah, because obviously you've got the in, cameras you've got on your those flipping wallies with the microphones asking you silly, silly questions. Idiots. You know, well, not you obviously, but I mean all the good guys that <laughs> that do ask questions with microphones. <laughs> you might have seen them as you were walking past. Yeah. <laughs> no, seriously, but uh, and then from there, obviously, you've got the podium. Then you've got to go to VIP hospitality, and which is all part of the part and parcel of, mm-hmm. of any sport. Um, and it's weird, so you so you have to do all, all of, not weird, but you say so you have to go through all of that and make sure obviously you're saying the right things uh, for your own personal sponsors, for your corporate sponsors, for your team, and thank your team, thank your family, and everything else, and and uh, just to do your normal things as well as as well as try and savor the moment. That's it. Must be hard to to savor that moment, doing all that. So, and then back then there was a presentation in the evening behind uh behind the grandstand in the paddock which is which is great you know and um uh the general presentation for the whole week really yeah um and then kind of uh, i was in the motorhome in the in the back of the paddock then so uh, and then later on in the evening i thought right well, by the time everything had calmed down um i walked down to queens on the front to meet my dad for a pint and uh, that's when it really hits you yeah weird we're just walking out the paddock, at the bottom of the paddock, on your own, just walking down the hill, and just cutting through, walking around, and just bursting into tears. Knowing that you 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 won yeah, yeah, and did yeah, what you what yeah. you've kind of set out to do. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, incredible, um, unbelievable. Yeah, which is like a built-up tension to a certain degree as well. Yeah, there must be a lot of that. Yeah. yeah so yeah. on to that, you end up taking your win. This looks like this could snowball into something. Obviously, you've still got John on the scene. He's still winning. There's other riders um, that, are, again, Kiefer Moore's coming through and Adrian Archibald. You've got Connor on his way as a youngster. But potentially, this could be you, your John McGuinness era. You could start dominating and you could start winning. Is that how you felt moving into t- t- to 2010 or not? Or- no, I had no intention of coming back to the TT. I thought that'll do. You were done? Been there, done it, wasn't it? There's not many people that can do that. No, no, you know, and yeah, going back to what you said, obviously the youngsters are all there and, you know, Connor was on the podium with me on the, yeah. for the senior and uh, and riding really well, getting stronger and stronger. Um, but yeah, it, it's, it's, fun, it's funny, isn't it? Because I was a, obviously a different age group, really, to the rest of the guys around me and, and probably riding the best I've ever ridden in 2009, winning at everything, mm-hmm. you know, from British Championship to um, British Superbike. I put that on the podium for when, when Josh wasn't there and podium at World Endurance for Tenkata and I won the Northwest and lap records and, and the TT as well and everything was kind of tickety-boo. Um, so good and and uh, without, because I'm not a spring chicken, I wasn't, you know, it was more a case of, um, do you know what, I very nearly for 2010, very, very, very nearly signed for Relentless Suzuki just to run at British Superbikes, nothing yeah. else. Um but they couldn't, Relentless wouldn't make a decision soon enough. So I decided to sign for HM Plant again to do uh, British Superstock and, or National Superstock it's called, in the British Championship and the TT in the Northwest again. 
Right. Yeah. Um, but the only reason, in my own mindset, to come back to the TT was to get the outright record in 2010. Oh, really? That was your, that was your goal? Yeah. I had no... Obviously, you, you know, to go that fast, you're more than likely going to be at the front, obviously. Yeah, I guess so, yeah, yeah. Um, but that was my focus to come back to the TT. Because I've been there, done it, won it, won it on the Supersport, won it on the, on the senior, and the only reason to come back was to be the fastest of all time and stop. That's, um, again, like like I said, there's not many people that can do that, especially once you've got that taste of winning. Because you, you could have come in and gone, well, I can dominate this now. That's not saying it's going to happen. Years. There's an awful lot of fast people. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> people there. But you want once you've had that taste of winning, yeah. you want it again and again and again and again, especially around a place like that. Yeah, I've no interest in competing if I feel like I can't win, you see, but it's more a case of because it's such an incredible event and and such an incredible... You've got to understand, obviously, I've got loads of British Championship uh, lap records and wins mm -hmm. and championships, uh, world endurance, I've got lap records and on different courses, Macau lap records, Northwest still, still um, lap records on Supersport, Superbike, and that would just tick the last box and thank you very much, goodbye. But unfortunately... You didn't yeah. even make it to the TT, did you? Nope. Nope. Uh, Silly boy. Yeah, you sound like mum. <laughs> I told you. I told, I told you, you not to go fast. No, I crashed at the Northwest. A big uh, crash. 2010. Um, I was on the pace, obviously. Uh, well, I was pole position. Um, went out Thursday night for uh, for qualifying. And it's a little bit the same as Tuesday. The, the, the course had changed. Um for 2010, there was a new chicane in at Mathers. Uh, yeah, Mathers Cross. Um, so everybody was kind of learning a little bit as well, all of us. Um, I'd gone pole position on Tuesday night. And the conditions were, had been a little bit sort of iffy on Tuesday, a little bit spitty here and there. Went out Thursday night. Same thing again. As soon as we got out on the superbikes, just spitting a little bit. I followed um, John and Bruce out onto the track. And I thought, oh, do you know what? It's kind of the same sort of thing as Tuesday. So we did an out lap and had a look and I thought, oh, it's the same as Tuesday. I'll just give it one lap just to make sure I bang a lap in and bring it back home. And at the end of that lap, I was four seconds up on my pole time, but unfortunately uh, was not wet, but uh, spitting harder, just going into the last corner and lost the front. As soon as I touched the brake, I was down mm -hmm. and went through the fence at flipping 150 mile an hour, yeah. And uh, ended up breaking your neck. Yeah, it wasn't great. I kind of woke up... Um, on the cliff edge there and uh, with no feeling from the chest down. Um, it must have been scary, that. Yeah. I didn't panic, but it's weird. weird. It's weird how you kind of react. Um, no feeling from the chest down. And uh, Doc John, bless him, rest in peace, he's not with us anymore. One of the paramedics, he come to me really quickly and, and um, I said to him, I said, mate, um, he said, what's the problem? I said, I don't know, I can't feel anything. So he, he was assessing me and and I couldn't feel anything, but I was in a massive amount of pain. So I said, mate, I said, can you give me something for the pain? So you got any morphine? He said, I've got something better than that. And he put this needle in me, flipping, heck, I was in a, <laughs> in a proper happy place then. God dear. Anyway, I was in and out of consciousness, you know, for for quite some time yeah. and carted off to hospital and stuff. And luckily, um, luckily next morning, the feeling started to come back. Um, but it wasn't until... A week later, I found out I broke my neck. Oh, really? Mm. How did how did that manage to go undiagnosed for that long? Because obviously, I'm just like every other racer. I'm smarter than any um, any 
paramedic or you know I mean? surgeon, I know exactly liar. what's wrong with me. Right. So I discharged myself from hospital. I googled it. Drove, it's dro- fine. <laughs> drove home in the motorhome. <laughs> Did you? Yeah. Uh, booked in to see not my specialist, the guy that I see a lot. Uh, he's retired now. Uh, a guy called Mr. Gale, South African uh, orthopedic surgeon, um, and he he uh, booked me in for a scan. And uh, I went in for a scan, uh, and he said, right, he said, I'm operating all afternoon. He said, have the scan. If there's any problems, I'll give you a shout. He said, and I was going to go and watch TT. Yeah. Uh, and this was 2010. So he said, enjoy the TT, and I'll see you when you get back. I said, no bother. So off I went. I went down into town, into Lincoln, uh, to get a new TV screen for the motorhome. And the phone went. He said, all right. He says, Mr. Gale. He said, where are you? I said, I'm just down in flipping town getting a TV. He said, get yourself back up here now. I said, all right. Okay. So I went back up the hospital. He says, look at that. And there's a scan on the wall. It's mm-hmm. like looking at your Misty scan when she's pregnant. You ain't got a flipping clue what you're looking at. It's just like a black and white, cloudy, flipping snowball. I said, what does that mean then? He said, you broke your neck. I said, oh, right. I said, what does that mean? He said, get in bed. I said, oh. I said, well, I'll just go and get my gear out of the car. He said, no, you don't understand. Lay down now. Really? And I broke C6 in half, um, completely in half, and it was, it slid out and was rocking. Yeah, so I was, a, I was a, it was a Superman job. Yeah, I was a lucky, lucky lad. Who, but who's not? Who's not picking that up in the first instance? Uh, well, they didn't get a chance because they wanted they wanted to stay, keep me in hospital and scan me a couple of days later when the swelling had gone down. But I said, no, I'm not, I'm not hanging around here. You idiot. Well, yeah, but I've been heck, you, just, you, you, you told them you can't feel anything laid aside at road. Yeah. But hey, listen, it is. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> Don't try you, and justify some, it. Sometimes you make the right decision. Sometimes <laughs> you make the wrong one. Well, luckily for you, yeah. So anyway, so I had a load of, op- out, load of operations, yeah. and I got you know some plates and rods and and various things. Yeah. But at that point, bang, that's it. You're, you're done. Yeah. Uh, there's no chance of obviously a rod and a TT. That's mm-hmm. you know. Um. So with that, uh, that was my TT career over. Yeah. But but by the sound of it, even back in '09, if you'd never gone back to the TT, you'd have been you'd have been happy with that. Yeah, very much so. There was no if if. I'd have got the deal with Relentless. That would have been it. That would have been my TT career over, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I spoke to you a few times about this as well. When we do these podcasts, do you have any inclination to go back? Do you wish you were there? Do you wish you were racing again? Not in the slightest. No, I'm very I'm very lucky because um, since retiring, I, I raced after that. I come back from mm-hmm. that and was back on the podium at British Championship and so on. Yeah. Um, but decided against road racing and then very quickly decided it was time to sort of hang my leathers up. Never, never announced a retirement or anything because hey, you, you never know what's going to happen in life and what you're going to do. Um, it's an and, I, and I didn't know how easy it was going to be to stop because so many people retire then come out of oh, retirement. Yeah, and so yeah. on. But I was very lucky because, and I think it's because I achieved everything with being such a late start to racing. I ticked all the boxes, achieved all my goals. Um, so for me, I think it was easy to switch off that competitive nature mm-hmm. because even when I'm on circuit now testing or, or or doing anything else I'm not too worried about winning such a pro it's weird isn't it yeah weird it was, no it's a weird because I used to be yeah the fact that you can switch psychotic it psychotic at yeah right? if I finished I remember having arguments on the podium in second place with with um, TV people and journalists because <laughs> I got the raving up because I'd lost yeah weird isn't it yeah but yeah, you managed to get it out of your system. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I suppose it's uh, a massive achievement 
winning any TT. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a big achievement to begin with to rock up on the finish line, finish a TT. Yeah. You know, a six lapper on a, on a big big bike race it is. But but to to stand on the podium first and then. Um, and then, of course, to win one, and especially the senior, the one that everybody wants to win. I don't know why, because it's no different to the first superbike race, but the senior is the big the one. Senior. It's the blue ribbon. And obviously, you've been riding all week then, and everybody's at their best and they're mm-hmm. peaking by the, by, the, by the last race. But, yeah, it's uh, pretty special. Very special, yeah. So then you've gone from the busiest motorcycle racer in the world, racing every kind of class, every road race, circuit, endurance. You hang your levers up. You don't take any time off. You become the busiest pundit in motorcycle racing. That's fair to say, right? Yeah. Was that your intentions, or no? We don't. Re- you don't really know how life is going to be after racing for an income. I mean, were you thinking? Back you know, to I've, done, I've done well out of racing, and of you, you know, I've got properties and various things, and that's my retirement. But you still need to work to pay the bills. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was very lucky, really. And because I'd spent so much time um, being proactive with manufacturers and uh, various public events and different things, um, the phone was quite quickly uh, on fire with people to come and do things. And, of course, when in 2011, this was the year after breaking my neck, I had a massive crash at uh, Thruxton. And that was a big one, yeah, that's yeah, where you did your arm, right? Severed a, a load of nerves yeah. uh, and various things, yeah. Um, I had a phone call from North One Television to come and work for the first time on the TT coverage, and that's where it all kind of kicked off from there. Did you have any interest in doing any of that or not? No, not really. Um, I've done bits and bobs, of course, with, with um, Eurosport for World World Supersport, World Superbikes, and mm-hmm. British Superbikes, of course, and but just more as a, uh, really, as a as a... A rider, pundit, commentator, commentator, nothing. So yeah, so it wasn't something I was pushing for, but you was kind of open to anything really. But it's different, so different. I bet it is. You know, being uh, being a racer and talking about yourself to all of a sudden talking about other people, and especially the guys that were the competition, and yeah. bl- and blowing smoke up the backsides. Yeah, there's not there's not many racers that can get on TV like you can and not end up making it all about you. <laughs> It's a skill you have. I'm not saying the others do, but there's quite a few who do. But from 2011 all the way to now, you're pretty much the only person that stayed throughout it. We've seen presenters come and go, pundits come and go, but you're the you're essentially the face of the TT for the past ten years or so. When yes. it comes to TV coverage, yes, yeah, nice, isn't it? You yeah, know, it's a, it's clearly a, doing it's, something right. It's a it's a privilege. In all fairness, yeah. and I really enjoy it. I love the event, obviously. I love the Isle of Man. Mm-hmm. Forget the racing, anything to do with it. You know, I've been over there holidaying with a family, with with you know my wife, my children, my parents, and I just love the place. I very nearly moved there. Did you? Yeah, it's only. The, you must have been earning some money there. It was only. The, it was only. Well, yeah, it's tax reason. No, no, <laughs> flipping neck, I wish. But it was only really because my children were coming up to that time in school, mm-hmm. uh, or to sign up for school, sec- uh, secondary school and stuff. So I decided not to. But yeah, I love the place. Love it. It's gorgeous. Yeah. So then, there you are, being the pundit, being the uh, the commentator. How, like, how does it? How does it? How does it feel? Especially, I think the what the 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 biggest part of your job, the most entertaining, the fun to watch, is when you're on pit lane. That's kind of your home now, isn't it? That's where it's like Martin Brundle's pit walks. It's like Steve Steve in the pit lane during the races. Yeah, I suppose so. You know, I'll probably look towards the fan part next and, and, and go and sharpen that job up. Um, well, you know, pit, don't bother. Pit. 
<laughs> no, but I love it, pit lane 20 yeah. question, I do, because it's uh, kind of, you get, get, it's funny because, you know, being in the pit lane during the races, especially a six lapper with, with two pit stops, um, you, I'm stood there with my back to the armco, so the boys are coming flying by at that point. I think I think it always says up, used to say above the scoreboard, about 165, mm-hmm. 70 miles per hour, somewhere there. Um, yeah, stand up on the back of your neck and you yeah, think, oh, bloody, did I really used to do that? Mm-hmm. Why? Why, oh, why, oh, why? You know, but you can feel the passion, feel the tension, feel the nervousness of all of the mechanics. That are, some of them are carrying wheels down, some of them making sure, you know, the, the time one has been on, it's up to temperature, Some and they're getting ready, of course, for the pit stop. They've got to do a visor change, make sure they don't make any mistakes, make sure they don't break anything, they're only mm-hmm. plastic, anything can go wrong. Um very nervous that some of the guys have got to do a real wheel change they can't afford any problems some are doing a fuel change they don't want to short change them on the fuel so they're nervous about so many different things they really are but you can feel all of that tension and that's every team has got the same nervousness about it it really has and that's all the way across the field not just the guys that are going for because everybody's going for a result everybody wants to better themselves whether it be a podium or a win or somebody down the field they want want the best the personal best but yeah I think without brown nosing too much I think that's what you do so well when you're in the pit lane because you've been there you've experienced it you know what it's like as a rider you portray that on the 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 TV and, and it comes across like we feel like we're in there and we can feel the tension as well was it your idea to put yourself at the armco right at the start of the pit lane for the live coverage this year just to scare the bejesus out of yourself or what because yeah, again no, that was amazing to watch we've done we've done bits and bobs over the last couple of years just bits and bobs and sometimes with it being highlights before sometimes it's used and sometimes it isn't you see it depends on on what else happens and what they what they can use but uh, rich the cameraman um good bloke really good bloke um he knows his stuff you know he's on the isle of man as well and he knows what works good guy and um but yeah, and of course Hickey was playing up to that as well. Me, he was getting so flipping close to me. God, Jesus, man, it really is. And it, it, you can't just feel it; it, it shakes you. Yeah, and it's a funny, weird sensation. But and so it's a great build-up. But the only thing is making sure the timing's right from what I'm saying to when they get there with my back to them as well. But there's other places around the TT course that I want to go and show off that kind of speed. There's various different points and places where I can be stood behind trees and stuff that hopefully next year if you're watching the TT Plus then you'll be able to see some different uh, situations and different venues around the course that you haven't seen before Any trees in particular? (laughs) Anyone that begins with a K? (laughs) That's one (laughs) but no there are plenty there are so so many iconic uh, mad places where you can go and be close still safe but close to the riders coming by without them seeing you either I think that's the beauty of, of what we've got now, and I'll ask you about it now, I guess. TT Plus, the fact that this year it was live for the first time, you had to, you know, you had to, obviously you're always in pit lane, but you, like you say, you, because, you, because you're there live, you have to be pinpoint with what you're saying when the riders are coming in, and it must have been a completely different job from what you've experienced the past couple of years. Yeah, well, I've been doing, you do the pit stop, I've been doing the pit stops the last couple of years on the highlights, but it, but it's pretty much, you, you cover the main, there's only a certain length on the programme anyway, mm-hmm. so you can cover the pit stops of the main front view. But now, because it's obviously live on TT+, Plus, um, you've got to cover anything that's coming in. So yeah. it's a long, busy pit lane, so you're trying to work out where everybody is and where to be, and then you're trying to obviously keep your eye on the front three or the front five to see who's going to be um, 
uh, close when they're coming in the pits to, to find out where the stories are. And then there's, there's, of course, people that are coming in and getting problems during the pit stop, and you're trying to catch that as well. So it's uh, it makes it nice and busy. Whereas before with the highlights, you just did a pit stop quickly and then watched the timing screens and, and so on. So it's, it's brilliant and there's more atmosphere and it's a good build-up. Do you worry that a, a youngster's going to come through and, uh, and steal your job, though, when they, they retire? Fortunately... Obviously, as you keep telling me, I still look very young. Wow. Listen, you do look young for a 60-year-old. So, you know. No uh, grey hairs on me, sunshine. <laughs> Don't you shave it all off? If you let that grow, you'd be as grey as me dad. Get out. Get out. So, but what is the plan? Carry on doing what you're doing? Yeah, I've got a really good lifestyle at the moment, you know, um... With obviously at the Isle of Man TT with with the TT Plus and and the live coverage, there's there's a lot more staff now, of course. So I'm just part of a big, um, decent professional group that, that are working on the package. You know, if, I mean, if you keep doing a good job in the fan park, you might get there one day. Do you think? But, um, one day. The Campbell dream. Um, no, but seriously, uh, you know, I, I'm a test rider for different manufacturers and tyre companies. Um, I work at British Superbikes, um, looking after One Make Series, and I'm a team manager for the Synetic BMW team as well at British Superbikes. So it's a busy, busy year, but but I love every part of that. I really, really do. And, and because I'm not just doing one job, you don't get fed up with anything. Yeah, I really enjoy it. You know. What about hosting the TT podcast? That's probably the highlight of your life, surely. Yeah, it's as its highs and lows, obviously. <laughs> and uh, nah, no, nah, I love it to bits. You know, I, I'm. I didn't know you before. I knew you. Obviously, coming to to work on the podcast, and it's been it's been great so far. And obviously, now we're working on the latest episodes and, and running through to the rest of the rest of the year. And uh, lucky because you get a little bit of an insight into the competitors as well, finding out their kind of mindset. And it's surprising sometimes you experience this. I think I think it's fair to say with Hutchie. Yeah, you know, um, you get a different angle of their lifestyle and and their personality and the way they really are away from cameras and away from uh, a sporting event. Yeah, I think that's the beauty of the podcast. Not only are we amazing at our jobs, but the fact that we are here for an hour or so, and it's just a chat. It's not, you know, we're not asking them how the race just went, so they can sit into it and they can relax. And yeah, I think I think we're doing a pretty good job. Please leave a review if you think we are doing a good job. But they, you, you often get a lot of those gems that we don't hear in other in other places and in other instances. No, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whether whether they're you know old riders from the old days or or uh, up and coming guys or you know you or or your winners at the moment. It's it's uh, you always learn something new about all of them. Here's a question before we go to the quick fires. Quick I've got fires. some quick fires for you. Get in yes. There. Um, who, if you could have one guest on here, who would you have? Mm. That's difficult because I know some of the guys we've got coming up. Um, Gary Thompson's one. Mm -hmm. Gary's a good friend anyway. Don't spoil away it from racing. Don't spoil it. Um, right, I, I want it. Uh, you can have anyone. Anyone away from the TT. Do you mean the next rider? Any, literally anybody, you can have anyone on here to talk about the TT in their life. It's making people be honest as well. Mm -hmm. That's the big thing. I'd like Mick Granton. Yeah? Yeah, because he's obviously, he is... Uh, is that he, just so he can regale tales of you, though? And no, because he were? oversaw my career, and he often used to point his finger at me saying, don't do this, don't do that, but oh, I know right. he was worse than me when, <laughs> when he was younger. So I could really drill him on that as well. Oh, that'd be good. 
but it'd be good. Um, yeah, I'd say Granty. All right, fair dues. Shall we get on to him? Come on then. So be kind. It's a tradition here that Steve quick fires the questions over to the riders. It's one or the other. There's no rhyme or reason behind it. Okay. I've got two sets of questions here, so I have to mix them up a little bit. Because we've only got ten, right? Lager. You can ask me as many as you want. Okay, I'll ask them all. Lager or real ale? Lager. Pineapple on a pizza or never pineapple 100% pineapple. Those Italians ain't got a clue about making flipping pizzas. You have to have pineapple on a pizza. BSB or TT? TT. Jason Crump or Greg Hancock? Oh, easy. Crumpy. Fair. Pillion ride with Harrison or Hickman? Harrison. Ooh, okay. Dunlop or Hutchinson? Dunlop. Night in with the missus? Or night out with the boys. She'll be listening to this. The boys. (laughs) The boys? My wife doesn't drink. You could could have a nice quiet night in with her. Yeah, I do. All right, fair enough. The night out, the boys. All right. If the chain doesn't break, Plater or McGuinness? This is going to be a long-winded answer. Well, no, we ain't got time for a long-winded answer. Plater, and I would have done that record on last lap if I had to push as well. (laughs) (laughs) Matt Roberts or Chris Pritchard I knew that I knew it I knew it I knew it I knew you'd ask that Matt Uh, Chris (laughs) Right What's my answer going to be My answer is going to be Listen my ego can take it Okay You can take it Mm, Chris Pritchard Thanks Last question Tip top Or bang on Tip top. <laughs> Perfect way to end it. Steve, it's been an absolute pleasure, but please come back round this side of the table because I feel very uncomfortable without you. Thanks, Chris. Cheers, mate. <laughs> this has been the second part of episode 17 of the TT Podcast. If you've enjoyed it, clearly you have because we've had the best guest on so far. Make sure you hit that subscribe button. Make sure you leave us a review. Tell us how good Steve was as a guest. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, we do really read them all. Don't we, Steve? Beg your pardon? Want listening? See? Brilliant. <laughs> and don't forget, you can get all the latest TT news and features over at iomttracers.com. And be sure to check us out on all the usual socials. We are at TT Racers Official. Thanks for listening. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy.